We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. Welcome to the Black Hands Podcast. We are calling this episode the Real Men Teach episode. Um, I'm hearing some things in the background. I'm pretty sure it's from the the person that doesn't have classroom management at his house. <laughs> hey, so before we kick it off, uh, let's let's do a quick uh, 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 whip around with, with see how folks is doing. Breezy, we starting with you, man. How you doing? I'm good. I'm well fed. My family is decent. I have an employment shelter, and I woke up this morning. I am blessed and highly favored. That's how I'm doing. That's what's up, bro. Uh, thanks for putting the Lord first. Reef, uh, you don't look like you're situated, so I'm going to come back to you. Uh, Dr. Cole, sir, how are you doing? Uh, funerals yesterday, well, the wake, and then leaving the funeral, uh, a friend of mine from back home that used to play ball away from the north uh, was killed. Um, so, you know, we're dealing with that. That's five, what, five weeks, man? So, you know... Um, not something you want to get used to, but it is what it is. But happy to be here with you fellas tonight. Yeah, condolences to you, bro. Uh, let us know if you need anything uh, on, on both fronts. Um, Reefy, how you doing, sir? Hey, bro. Good afternoon. Good evening, everybody. Um, doing all right. My condolences, uh, Cole, man. It's, it's been a lot, man. And, um, you know, definitely sorry to hear that. Good to have uh, our brother CV on to, uh, today. And I'm, you know, glad to be here. Doing well. It was a beautiful day in the, um, you know, weather-wise and stuff. So spent pretty much all day outside, you know, hanging out with the flock and and chilling. That's what's up, man. It's always good to be able to hang out with the flock. So uh, we got got the chickens, but yeah, absolutely, you're right. All right, bro. I, I'm not even gonna do this. this I'm not gonna do this weirdness with you. Yeah, because I keep, I keep every time I see naked and afraid, I have these thoughts of you being able to survive. But anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, CV uh, Curtis Valentine is the founder of Real Real Men Teach. Why am I hearing this echo? It was it was Curtis's. Don't worry about it. Keep going, brother. All right, so Curtis Curtis Valentine is the founder of Real Men Teach, a national movement to recruit and retain male educators of color by reimagining and reinvesting in them. In his daily job, Curtis serves as the deputy director of the Progressive Policy Institute's Reinventing America School Project. In addition, Curtis serves as professor of education policy at the University of Maryland College Park, R1 University, let's get it, and is the third term at-large member of Prince George's County Board of Education, the 20th largest school system in America, home of the black elite. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome, Curtis Valentine. What's happening, baby? Yeah, man, looking like you uh, about to cross the probate like that. You know what I'm saying? That uh, Dirty Sands uh, clean look. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, that's what's up, man. So, so listen. So, you know, if you're in a classroom, or you're a classroom teacher, or if you're classroom adjacent, meaning that you've been in a classroom before, you always start with a warm-up, right? And so tonight, we're going to start with a warm-up. It's probably going to cause y'all heart palpitations or whatever, but we're going to start with this warm-up. Uh, producer, put the warm-up up. Yeah, so I don't know if you guys saw this. This is in my neck of the woods. So this is uh, this is Long Island, uh, Hempstead, right? So um, 
black mom, not sure if she's single mom, doesn't identify it as her being a single mother. So I don't want to assume. However, uh, her son is in a private school in uh, in Hempstead, New York, on Long Island. So Long Island is one of the most racist, racially segregated uh, places in the United States. So it's an 11-year-old sixth grader. Uh, and so he's in class. He finishes assignment uh, early. And so uh, he takes out other work to do. Uh, the private school teacher in the Catholic school gets upset, takes him to the headmaster. The headmaster then has him kneel to say, I'm sorry to the teacher and says that he learned the kneeling uh, part from a, a Nigerian um, adjacent uh, Catholic school, uh, I mean, a Nigerian adjacent bishop. So I just want to get y'all's take on this. This is probably uh, the 10th time that we've talked about something racist in somebody's classroom in the last uh, four days. And so I just want to get y'all's individual take on this. Breezy, we'll start with you, man. How you feeling about this? <laughs> I mean, there's no take you can have on this. Uh, um, this is the reason why in a million shows, million times of us talking, we always go back to telling parents to be on guard, no matter where you put them, private school, district schools, charter schools, in, in daycare, preschool, no matter where you put them, they're out of your control. So you better be picking really wisely. And uh, I think sometimes we just choose schools that are closest to our house. Sometimes I just think we choose just a private school because of word of mouth, because we've heard that it's supposed to be better somehow. But um, this story just goes to prove what what is possible for your children when you let them out of your care and you hand them over to somebody else. <laughs> I can tell you right now, you know, as a person who grew up Catholic, um, there's a lot of things you can see in Catholic churches and in, in Catholic discipline or whatnot. This to me is beyond the pale. I, I have no idea like what they were thinking, um, but I don't care. I don't care what they were thinking. There's no thinking that justifies this. Bottom line is uh, you have children. God gave you uh, uh, the powers uh, of, of the universe over your children. So be careful who you hand them over to. I don't care who they are. Just be careful. That's what's up. Reeve, swinging it to you. Yeah, man. I mean, it, these guys probably had uh, diabetes or something, you know. Um, <laughs> so, you know, what are you going to do, man? People have medical conditions. It uh, constricts the blood to their brains and they just doing some old wild stuff. You know, remember that song or that commercial like, yo, it's 10 o'clock where your kids at? You know, it's, it's school is during school time. Do you know who your kids are with? Is is the Ooh, better that's question? It, that's it. Yep. Um, so yeah, man, this is un unfortunate, and hopefully they, uh, you know, support this young man as well. You know, because now he has to navigate all this and and peers and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but there, I mean, it's just no, it's just dumb stuff, man. Over and over again, man. Yeah, that's what's up, Doctor Cole. Doc. Yeah, yeah, not much to add, man. Uh, echo on what the brother said. It's just dumb. Like I, you know, what I'm saying I don't even. Whoop. Like, again, whatever you and you should be able to choose whatever you want and be ready to fight like hell, regardless of what your choice is. You know what I'm saying? I think that right now people are so overwoke and people are trying to, like, virtue signal and do a bunch of stuff. And, you know, and it's starting to backfire a little bit, man. We got I just I think common sense just ain't that common. So um, shit was dumb. Cool. Nice take. CV, what, what's your thoughts, man? 
to childhood, man, you know, the idea that some things are just unacceptable around certain people. People know who they could do this to. And in certain schools, it's just unacceptable. And you know you walk in there how to treat people because you know what's going to happen when you do it. And so this can't be the first time he did something like this. It's the first time he got caught. And so when you think about, you know, schools that, you know, glorify certain things like that or accept certain things versus those that help hold children in high esteem, my question is, what gave him the idea that this was acceptable and that there were no consequences for it? And so, I mean, like I said, this, this happens. I mean, like I said, it's, it's a war out there. And certain people know what they can do. That's what anybody, all five of us, we, you know in the community who you can mess with and who you couldn't mess with. Because you know what's going to happen. They're going to call their big brother. They gonna, or they're going to call somebody. They're going to catch it. And so mm-hmm. I think things like this, I'm just like, where, where's this acceptable? This, this don't happen. I mean, this don't happen where I'm at. At least not something like that. The things that are happening, don't get me wrong, but not that. And so like I said, I'm always wondering who gave this guy cover to think that he could do that. And the systems, and we, you all talk about systems all the time. There's systems that give people cover that allow them to think they can do certain things and their actions are just manifestations of the systems giving them cover to do it. Yeah, that's what's up, man. So, so, so real quick, if you are the parent or you, if you know the parent of, of, of this student, uh, there is, there are two options, right? That I recommend that are free options in the Hempstead area. So there's the Academy Charter School, which uh, their sixth graders uh, are over 80% proficient in math and reading. And that is a free option. And then there's also the Evergreen Charter School uh, located in Hempstead on Long Island. And their scholars, I want to say, are 70% proficient or higher in both uh, English and math. And so I know charter schools don't test the way that uh, um, the standardized tests are in charter schools or, or traditional public schools, but there are some options for those those parents or whatever. And if you're looking for safety, I'm pretty sure that uh, the safety levels are comparable in the Academy Charter School and also Evergreen Charter School. So if, if the parents looking for some options, that's some options for you. Um, so real quick, man, before we even get into the show, CV, man, talk to us about Black Man Teach, man. I, I, I want to be a student right now. I want to learn about the movement. You know, I want the audience to learn about the movement. And, and, and yeah, take us there. Well, I appreciate you, bro. And to be on brand, we'll make sure it's Real Men Teach. There is a Black Man Teach out there, so I respect those brothers, too. Uh, but it's Real Men Teach, man. This is something that started uh, seven years ago. And it's funny because folks come out to me and say, yo, Kurt, man, you know, I see what you're doing, man. This happened so quickly for you. I said, nah, there's an old adage, man. It takes 10 years to become an overnight success. 10 years of grinding, 10 years, 10,000 hours. And so this started seven years ago when I first joined the school board here in Maryland. And I met with a brother, Albert Lewis, who that year was a teacher of the year in Prince George's County. Young brother, he was mid-20s. I said, man, you teacher of the year, man? Young brother, Morgan State, HBCU alum. I said, we should do something together. And I'm the kind of brother when I say it, I mean it. And so we said, man, let's get together. Let's talk about trying to get more brothers into teaching. Met with him and then connected with another brother named Victorious Hall, who uh, was an educator, started his own curriculum called the Peace uh, Curriculum at a local local middle school that I actually taught at previously. And we started something called the Male Educator Network, MEN, acronym MEN of PDCPS. And over the course of seven years, man, we've we've grown our school system to have the largest uh, number of uh, male educators of color and male educators overall in the entire D.C. uh, metro area. And through workshops, through award ceremonies through uh, advocacy, we were able to really grow a community 
And so Meryl Men Teach is sort of the manifestation of a seven-year incubation um, plan within a school system. Again, the 20th largest in the country, 130,000 kids, 210 schools uh, of brothers who say, Curtis, you know, I'm an educator because of someone else, or I'm an educator because I saw someone who looked like me who made education um, seem dope and seem cool. And so I want to be like that. And I was in, I'm in a system now where I have a school leaders who actually give me that freedom to be that cool where I am. And so Real Men Teach is a national campaign. You know, the idea is, you know, in the, in the end, it's recruitment and retention, but we do it through, first thing is re-imaging, meaning how do we take back this narrative of what it means to be a school teacher? And when most people think back about their school teacher growing up, there was somebody who was just, you know, like a better word, corny. Like, you know, I don't want to be like him. I don't want to be like her, you know. Um, but how do we take that back? And how do we push back and show people what a cool educator would be? Just like you, Ray. I mean, to show someone like you, you know, who's an Omega, rocking the hoodie, but also got a lot of top and a lot of heart. If we had more men like you in front of you know, young men, you think we'd get more, more male teachers? I, I would say absolutely. Second part is reinvesting. So the proceeds from hoodies like I got on and like you got on and my man Sharif wears, you know, that's going to go back to scholarships um, for male educators to stay in the classroom. And not going to be, you know, we're not going to sponsor or give a full ride. But, you know, when I'm talking, when I'm talking to folks throughout the country and through educators, sometimes as little as five hundred or a thousand dollars just to, to whether it be to get a certification, to apply for a tutor. In some cases, even get your transcripts from your college in order for you to get the job that you'd already been offered. And so we want to make sure uh, that we create a fund. You know, my vision is like a UNCF for black male educators um, that we could have enough money that nobody is kept from being a teacher because they couldn't afford it. So it's re-imaging, making teaching cool, but also reinvesting in our brothers to make sure that everyone has uh, a male educator of color uh, around them so that they could potentially see themselves in the profession. But uh, we... We can't move forward without talking about COVID. Uh, Reefy, plug the center. The center, the the, red, the letters read COVID, Center of Black Educator Development. <laughs> he, just, he just changed it. I'm like, I'm like, oh, who's who's that? Who's coming to talk about COVID? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, man. I mean, very similarly to what, you know, uh, Brother Curtis is doing, you know, uh, we stand on four pillars, one around educational policy. Um, that we believe teacher diversity is one of them. Uh, this idea of uh, teacher preparation and effectiveness, all of that, you know, what are policies that support that? Uh, what's the uh, professional learning is the other uh, pillar. Uh, coaching, workshops, uh, reflective practices, you know, uh, mentoring. Uh, the third P is around pedagogy, ensuring that, you know, black pedagogy is uplifted, centered in teacher colleges, centered in professional development, uh, of our educators. And the last one is pipeline, really starting in high school to uh, recruit the next gen of, of teachers, of well-developed, um, highly effective teachers. So those are our four P's, four pillars, you know, so shout out to, you know, uh, Curtis. I got my my purple, my purple and gold one, you know, as I promised last week, real men teach, you know, and I'm excited to, to support Curtis. And, you know, as he said, you know, this, none of this stuff is, uh, is new. He's been working on that, you know, for, you know, a minute and, you know, brothers from, from his community would come up to the fellowships, uh, black male educator convenings back in the day. And, you know, so we're excited, excited to have him on and excited to, you know, to hear about his work on, on our show. 
And Ray, yeah. just just know, man, Sharif is on my advisory board. And when I put this together, he's one of the first brothers I reached out to because I understood that I needed to have that connection, uh, especially because he's a Philly boy. I'm from Jersey. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, I need to have the people around me. I know this is not a, a one-man show. I think that's the difference between now and where we were before. We have, I, I call it the Avenger method, where we got all the brothers who do a lot of great things. Um, the goal is to connect with brothers and benefit from and leverage how we make sure that we do the best we can for this mission. Yeah, that's what's up. So for those of y'all in the audience, if y'all wondering why Reef is wearing purple and gold, here's the story, right? <laughs> so, so in college, in undergrad at IEP, uh, Reef was floating around this theory that my fraternity brothers, who never recruit anybody, recruited him, right? He's even had some of his close friends corroborate the story, right? But yet he continues to wear purple and gold, even though being recruited, not going through a pledge process, but he still wants to rock purple and gold because you know where his heart is at, right? And so El Michelle, you were like, he looks like a Lampado. He certainly does. And I think it's by design. But anyway, um, I have no idea what a Lampado is, but me either. Me either. I feel like there's something I don't need to know what it is either. This this is a real men teach shirt. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, you're going back to 1988 talking about IUP, bro. Like, we're we're talking about right now. Hey, we're down here with the CV. You know, yeah. in the place to be. You know what I mean? What yeah. are you talking no, about? No worries. That was a bar. But anyway. I'm just going to um, pretend all y'all are repping New Orleans. That's what I'm going to say. That's where I know purple and gold from, from New Orleans. No, I'm just going to pretend y'all. Yes, so. My roommate from Morehouse was a was a, 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 a bruh, Spring 99, side chapter, Ralph Chambers, shout him out. He was, he remind me, purple is royalty. And so that's anybody right. can wear purple. Just just know that when you wear purple, that's royal. That a brother, you know, you are on that. I'm not, you know? not going to do that, Curtis. Even no, even Doctor Cole got his purple up in there. We're not, Shout out to the Benafs wearing brothers. See how these things the take a left turn. Yep, they take a left turn because I'm about to call you all Prince fans now. That's what purple means. <laughs> <laughs> all y'all Prince all right, fans. So 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 before we get derailed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so how is it, how important is it to have the right black male teacher, right? Because like we talk about having black males in the classroom or whatever, but but you can't just have any black male in the classroom. So Charles, starting with you, because I know, you know, I remember a story uh, you told us about having the black, uh, the right black male teacher and you didn't. So talk Yeah, about- I mean, I, I, so I, you know, it, I've had a bunch of black male teachers. I've had a bunch of black teachers throughout my K-12, like in different states, uh, but just by being black, don't make that, don't mean it was good. It was still like two of them out of the whole, you know, that whole lot that I ever had that was really impactful. And let me be very clear. Mr. Brown is one of the most impactful people in my life. We honored him earlier this year. He's finally about to retire, right? Like that dude is amazing. But the other 20 something, you know what I'm saying? That I had, you know, a lot of them wasn't up on, on top of their curriculum. A lot of it wasn't up on top of their game. Um, and, and, you know, and that, I didn't get as much from them the same way I didn't get from some of the white teachers that I had. And so I don't want it to just be like, yo, let's just get, you know, just being black is enough. You know what I mean? Like, it's great. We need more black teachers. The same way I'm in the medical space, we got a campaign to get more black doctors, right? And the same way as a social worker, we got, you know, we need more male black social workers. Like, I think the thing to take away from this is, is if you a black man, especially a black man, there are industries that are looking for you and that need you and you should be able to find them. But your work doesn't stop just because you happen to be a black man or whatever the case is. You know what I'm saying? So I just and one of my students and energy converters reminded me of that because we actually we push that line as well. In our report that's coming out, we 
one of our findings is that kids just do better with black male educators, right? But she reminded me like, yo, it was a black male educator that suspended me all the time, that got me out of school, that didn't, you know what I'm saying? So um, I just want to make sure as a, as, a, as a whole, right, we also trying to go for quality. That's what's up, man. Thanks for sharing. Uh, Bre- Breezy, man, talk to us. Black male teachers, right fit. W- what makes it a right fit? And, and what, what, sh- what should we be looking for as a parent? What should we be looking for? Well, you know, I, I would want to know, like, what Curtis thinks in terms of, like, what the challenges are of record- of recruiting black men into the profession because it's, you know, it's one thing to start the program. It's one thing to say you need it, but once you start doing the work, I'm sure you have some lessons along the ways. Like you do enough interviews with people, you do enough, like figuring out what could go wrong. Cause my feeling is we're going to get a lot of black males into education just by trying. We're going to get a lot more in. I don't know how well we're going to keep them. I don't know how long they're going to be there. I think we might end up with a lot of one year, two year, three year, four year teachers, because the wider you cast your net, the more you make a hard sell to people, you will be successful in getting people in. But they're going to have an experience. And I always worry about the experience. Like, you know, when when Dr. King talked about, you know, integrating into a burning house, getting black males into a very white, very female dominated occupation in some ways is asking them to run into a burning house, a burning house of all kinds of microaggressions and rife with all kinds of dangers, professional dangers that nobody else would have just by being black and being male. There are going to be some interactions, some ways of interacting that are going to make you feel like a real chump. If you have to, uh, somehow reduce yourself in ways just to fit in into a occupation that largely isn't made up of you. But I will say this, um, because I agree with Dr. Cole and and I agree with what was said about we need quality teachers, but nobody asked that question with other races that want to go into teaching. No one says, you know, like, you know, we should just have more high quality white teachers really because it's, it's their occupation they're mediocre all over the place. And we know they're mediocre on paper when we're recruiting them in. And when, when districts are hiring them in the first place, we know that they're they're mediocre. So it's, 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 it's interesting when you get around to affirmative action type programs or programs that want to get people of color into professions that the quality question comes up when you're talking about a highly mediocre occupation in the first place. So I'll take... I'll take a new wave of some mediocre black teachers that might become great in, you know, year four or five or six, even if they're going to be mediocre for a couple of years. Because what I can tell you for sure is we're going to have a bumper crop of mediocre white teachers coming out of teacher colleges next year anyways. So. Yeah. So, Curtis, coming to you, man, 1.7 percent of the teachers uh, nationwide are black males. What's your pitch? Well, I mean. You know, folks who study this will tell me, Curtis, if you look at high school graduation rates, if you look at, you know, number of black men who start high school, ninth grade, how many graduate in four years, how many get, you know, grades good enough to get into a school of education and come out. Um, and so the pipeline, you know, it's sort of, in, it, the idea is that it will fix itself because you're bringing people who are, who are better educating our students, who will uh, grow the pipeline so that more graduating on time and et cetera, et cetera. I think it's back to a point that, I mentioned on, on a previous show, which is this is idea that because people are asking for teaching, I should go into teaching because there's a need for me and they need people like me to go into teaching, even though I don't have a gift for it. I don't have a heart for it. 
and the subject they want me to teach, I don't really have a heart and gift for it. I don't want that. I'm on, I'm on the record. I'm on the record as saying, this is old, you know, uh, saying that, um, don't tell me what the world needs. Do what makes you come alive. Because what the world needs is more people who come alive. And when you go into certain classrooms, you ain't got to walk in there. You can just see, and you can see, these are educators of any race. They're just alive because what they're talking about, the subject matter, they're bringing in personal experience on the weekends. They're, you know, they're doing extra work. And I, my, my children have teachers like that. My wife is an educator uh, and there's subject t- certain topics that she cares about. I think this goes, this is, this is a, a, a process of us, of our young people really exploring what their gifts are, what their passions are, and then aligning that. Because I, as I say all the time, education is happening every day. Teaching is happening every day. Through our Real Men Teach 100 campaign, a daily campaign of highlighting men every day, we are showing, to, to, to Charles's point, doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, blacks in tech, educators, bus drivers, gym teachers, who are all talking about education. But in many cases, their greatest lessons were not necessarily in the classroom. And so it's this idea that I think as men, we are natural teachers. When we, when we teach our children how to ride a bike or tie their shoe, the question is, how do we transform that into the classroom where you're giving me a topic that I'm that I really care about? You're giving me the freedom to do it the way I want to do it. And so to the point that my man uh, Chris Stewart talking about is integrating into a burning building. How are you making sure that the, 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 the leadership in the building are embracing these these new male educators to come in, giving them the leader, the, the leeway to make the classroom their own? How do they decorate the classroom? What kind of environment it is in my class, University of Maryland? When you come into my classroom, you're going to hear music playing as soon as you walk in. I want to bring Curtis Valentine to the space. And so my biggest fear is we want black male educators, but we don't want Curtis Valentine. We don't want Sharif El Menke. We don't want Charles Cole. Because when you when you when you say you want Charles Cole, you won't get everything Charles Cole has to give. We have to change that mindset of one. How do we open up the world of teaching to young people in a way that says it's not necessarily standing in front of a chalkboard for 45 minutes and lecturing and then giving homework, there's a way of doing this. At the same time, how do we create the ecosystem around them that embraces them and doesn't sort of, you know, kill them in the, in the, in the bathtub before they even kind of get out the, get out of the, you know, out of the first second year to really see that. Cause I have young men, I mean, brothers in my community, 10, 15 years in, and they just really getting started in this. They're like, yo, Kurt, I'm really starting to flex on certain ways. I want to teach, bringing new things to the classroom, getting that freedom that I want. And that gives our young people freedom to do the same thing, because what's going to happen is recycling this idea of my teacher was boring. He had to tuck his his self in who he was. And so I don't want to be that. I want freedom, which is which should be the goal of any profession in any field. Yeah, that's what's up. So so Reef, here comes you, bro. So, you know, this plan has worked in order for us to get all of these black male teachers in the classroom. How do we keep them? Yeah, so I mean, uh, Curtis brings up a great point as well as uh, really what Stewart said. So I'll just build on that. You know, a lot of uh, districts, you hear them talking about they want to diversify. They want more black men, you know, places like Philadelphia, you know, a quarter of the students are black boys, you know, and they many of them never see any representation, you know, of themselves. And, you know, but when I hear districts around the country often saying, oh, we won, it's almost like they're on a safari. Like, oh, I need a black man. You know, they're looking for this elusive, uh, exotic figure that's, you know, that got a, you know, the dry erase marker in one hand and and so a book in the other. Right. Like and like, no, nah, like 
have y'all done the prerequisites to retain these black men? Like, are you inviting them to into a hostile work environment, that burning house? You know, they there are prerequisites for retaining teachers of color, um, including black men. And so what we really need uh, districts to do for school leaders to do leadership teams to do is really, you know, uh, interrogate the biases that exist. One, acknowledge that they, they're there, um, interrogate how they impact today, how does race, class, power, privilege show up in your district, in your hiring practices, in your support system, in your coaching, in your curriculum, all of that. That all needs to be audited deeply um, and starting with them, starting with their mindsets. And from there, then you start building out like, OK, here's what we acknowledge is going on and here's what we need to change. Here's what, here are the things. So those prerequisites need to happen. And then I would say on top of that, you know, too many people are not seeking out feedback. And we talked about this a while ago, mm-hmm. getting feedback from those uh, from the educators who are there, uh, teachers of color, the black men um, and not just. You know, we just worked on a retention toolkit uh, with the Pennsylvania Department of Education and we're in a consortium We're we're doing creating toolkits, workbooks for leadership teams, uh, school districts, retention, recruitment, mentoring and culturally responsive, sustaining education. So four toolkits that people will be able to use and implement. And it's almost like a workbook. Who's your who's your advisory committee for this? And are you keeping are you doing something like don't just do a, uh, a exit interview? Do a retention interview, (laughs) you know, be proactive and go ask questions about like, how are you experiencing this school, our leadership team, um, our district? So those are just starters that you could do to uh, push the retention because the best recruitment plan is a strong retention plan. Mm. Yeah. On that, I mean, I think there's also community that I think in my my experience and and sort of I guess the seven year sort of uh, focus group we have in our county is the idea there's community amongst brothers to be able to talk about what's working, about their personal experience. My experience being a middle school teacher here, I was the only brother on the whole first floor. And so it was tough. Like when I had a, when I had a bad day, I tell people the first time I ever drank alone was, 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 was a teacher. I went home, I sat outside, I realized I was drinking. I looked around like, I never drank alone before. I know what to talk to. I know what to talk to. You know what I'm saying? Like, I had a family, you know. And so the idea that we're trying to create with real men teaching, what Sharif is doing, how people are doing, we're trying to create a, a brotherhood, like a, a national community of educators, leaders, school founders, folk influencers like yourself to say, you know what? I'm part of the clique. And so people who are coming out to me saying, Kurt, how can I get down with real men teach? Unsolicited. Like when you're coming out, you're saying, I'm seeking community too. It was a brother I was on a call with, um, and he reached out to me, Sharif. Man, what he said to me, Sharif, he said, Kurt, bro, I'm where I am, but I'm I'm dolo. I'm solo where I'm at. I found my tribe. Like, because when you're in Philly, when you were in New York, you in Oakland, I'm in D.C. metro area. To your point, Charles, we had a lot of brothers around here. But that one brother out in, like, southern Illinois and the two brothers out there, like, in, in the suburbs of Phoenix, and the one brother out there trying to, in southern Georgia who's trying to find connection in the profession, but also the brotherhood. What we're doing right now, bro, I'm so excited about it because I can see brothers reaching out to me saying, Curtis, I found my tribe. I want to connect with y'all. I don't have to move to where you are in order to sort of leave because I think we need brothers where I'm in my community too. But there's something to the brotherhood, which is what men of PDCBS did here in, in my district. We would come together and then during the COVID, we would do kind of like wellness Wednesdays. But let's just talk about it. No agenda. What's going on? How you feeling? Unpack what it means. You know what? We ain't talking education. We just talking fatherhood tonight. We talking manhood. We talking like 
let's just get off the, you know, get all that off our shoulders because you're trying to teach a lesson with all that on you, bro. You can't, you can't get that out there. We have the world. You're trying to get home without getting killed. Like that's a whole other world that we're not talking about as we're talking about preparing men for teaching. But when you get that brotherhood together, which is what I think the five of us are doing in our own way and others are reaching in, trying to get connected. That's powerful, bro. And that's the part of retention that I think we have not been talking about. Yeah. So Chris, man, bringing you back into the conversation, um, man. So you have this level of expertise that we never really tap into or whatever, only when we're like pissed off. But like, so, <laughs> so, so you are a former school board member. And so yeah. what should school boards be doing in terms of recruiting <laughs> black male teachers or recruiting black teachers, period? Because I know Minneapolis is having a hell of a time right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what should what should what should school boards be doing? Um, well, one thing I just want to put out there that like we Minneapolis lost 50 percent of its black teachers due to seniority. <laughs> So um, you're talking about a school district that was like 75 percent at the time. Kids of color lost 50 percent of its black teachers because of layoffs in seniority order. Last in, first out, you know. Uh, um, And when community members and those educators went to the unions and tried to get them to make some protections for protected classes of of educators, um, they made them for Latino folks, for, for Spanish speaking folks, for spoke for folks with special licenses within uh, the wider schools that they, they wanted to keep. They didn't make none for black teachers. So all of a sudden the suburbs ended up with a bunch of very well-trained urban black teachers who went out to the suburbs and probably are still teaching out there. One who I've mentioned on this show before ended up being teacher of the year, ended up teaching in the suburbs, even though she wanted to teach black kids and, and, and black, you know, wanted to teach in the city and couldn't she got laid off. So one thing they can do is make sure that they're going, that they have strong retention plans that do include things like, um, like layoff protections from layoff and, you know, uh, um, special training, uh, licenses that they would seek out that they wanted to get to be able to be better teachers that the district didn't offer, but they knew they could get it somewhere else nationally and they just needed help getting it. Um, you know, it could also be things like don't put black male teachers in buildings by themselves, especially when you know that there's going to be problems. You can predict it like you're a superintendent. You know who's in that building. You know the way it's run before. And this is why I like the Posse Foundation uh, in, in Chicago. The Posse Foundation, you know, sends out cohorts of black students to go to some of these PWIs, some of these white uh, institutions for college because they know that in a cohort model, they are more likely to stick and to stay because they're gonna have each other's back. I feel the same same way about black males coming into highly white districts uh, and you're putting them in situations where you know they're gonna end up in a situation one day where someone's gonna say, I just felt so threatened by the way that you said that or something like that. And they're gonna get ganged up on and there's gonna be like that whole situation and they're not gonna have any, any they're not gonna have any backup. I love that they have fellowship for national organizations but 50% of black kids are in suburbs now, right? And those suburbs haven't caught up to what, you know, is going on in Philly 
Mississippi or New York or uh, uh, Prince George's County. We exist in a lot of places in this country. And we are asking black males to come in and not have any backup, to be naked, basically, in highly sexualized, highly racialized environments where our kids exist, but where it is a risk to them professionally to be here. So I think school boards, superintendents, principals all should be working together to handle that reality, not just interviewing people and trying to get people through the door and looking at resumes and credentials and all that nonsense. Because what good is all that is if you're going to get them in there and they're going to face like five angry white teachers that they don't like or that don't like them and they're going to get squeezed out. I've watched like four principals in a row get like get squeezed out of a school, the same school. Four black principals that we recruited here from other places came thinking they were going to be real principals. And they had a handful of white teachers that were able to squeeze them out every single time they tried to exert their authority. Bro, you better say that, man. You better say, I mean, I've seen the same thing even working in the district. And I think, you know, when you send folks in there by themselves, man, you putting their livelihood at risk. And I mean, I think there's two ways that you even looking at that, not even just all those things that's dangerous for them, Chris, that you mentioned, but then they may have been coming to teach science. I want to teach science, but now I'm doing a special ed class or I'm the dean right. now, or I'm, or I get all the black kids, all the black boys that you, that you don't want to have to deal with. And then you blame me and fire me because I'm underperforming when I don't have a stable situation. I'm, I'm really leery of like, I get, you know, we've had this talk before and, and Reef and I have had this talk before. I'm leery of like, yo, let's just put, let's pump black teachers into this thing, man, because I'm just afraid if we don't send them in with the proper protections. And I think the other thing is, I say this, that school building is not the only place where learning happens. I had a school building that had one culture, but two blocks away at the boys club, which was black ran, which had a totally different culture. I learned so much more in that boys club where these black folks got to grow. They got to, they got to gain, they got to go up in their career and things like that. So I'm not saying that this is a bad strategy, right? But I'm really, really worried about it because that level of isolation, if you catch the wrong type of case, you get in the wrong type of argument. Like I'm saying, anytime you assert yourself with your voice, you a threat. Anytime you smile too long, you harassing somebody. Like that's a tough space to be sending a whole bunch of black men into, especially if they ain't got no cover. So that's just the thing that I, that I worry about. So I would ask you, you know, I would, I would ask both of you, uh, you know, we're not, not, not asking any questions. I can't ask you. Ask- oh, all right, well, do your thing, bro. So, so, so spotlight back on you though, because I had a question for you before you jumped in, but I appreciate you jumping in. I appreciate that assertiveness, that Dr. Cole assertiveness. So you're student adjacent, man. You got energy converter students. What are the students saying, man, about 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 having black male teachers, about having black teachers, period? And and are they offering advice on how to get more teachers that look like them? I think it was both. I think so. When we did our survey, they said that that was really important, but they also said it was important for teachers to get an understanding of who they were. So we had a few people talk about, yo, I do got a few black teachers that I like, but I actually got this white teacher that like I feel I learn about their culture and they learn about mine. And I'm learning a lot from these people. They tended to focus a little bit more on the quality side, especially when they start to look at the numbers and break down what schools was getting what scores versus other ones. Right. So I think that they wanted they, we asked if we had if they asked two questions. Do you have teachers that represent you culturally and racially? And I think that that was like a really important uh, piece. Right. And then we also asked if they have a person in the building that they feel like they can go talk to about anything. And, you know, those numbers were kind of scary when they came back. I think the net was around 40 percent of kids that did not feel like they had somebody that they could come and talk to. Right. So, you know, I think that 
our kids want people that, that, that have high standards for them, that can listen to them and that can push them. Uh, and it's a bonus and it's a needed bonus if there's people in that room that look like them, right? And one of the kids said, and I, and I, I won't be as verbose, sorry, that while I appreciate seeing black secretaries and janitors I act, and, and PE teachers, I really want to see a black science teacher like that actually knows what they're talking about and doing whatever, right? Because they'll say, oh, my school got black folks. But when we make a list of what those black people do, it's none of the high skill area teaching classes, right? It's like they roam the halls. They got to be the people that kind of correct people or they doing like physical, physical education. So that's what the young people were saying to me, both in Oakland and in this recent cohort in Indy. Yeah, that's what's up. Ask your question, sir. Uh, no, nah, I, 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 I forgot it. I, I was, um, I forgot it. I, it was, it was, it's all good. Don't worry about it. I, I, you got You got to flow, brother. I want to respect it. Do your thing. <laughs> all right. So real quick, before I go into the next question, I just want to talk about my name on this simulcast, right? So unpublic video podcast. That is my man, Chris Stewart's, uh, uh, video cast. I don't know if it's a podcast. I don't know what it is, but I know that shit is hella dope. And I was able to catch an episode the other week with uh, him by himself. So no guests, right? And so for 60 minutes, he just went the hell off. And it was in a light to where I've never seen Chris before. And it was amazing. So folks, if you are available at 10 a.m., you better get with it, man. Because this dude is bringing the heat every day, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So make sure you check it out. All right. So I next point. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Real men teach any way they can. <laughs> Real men teach anywhere they can, even when they ain't got the credential. <laughs> oh, they teaching. Hey, so, Ray, real so. quick, man. I, I wanted to add because you asked about, about the school board. You know, I, I put my school board hat on um, when it came to this work. This is how I was able to start it so quickly because I was a school board member. But school board members around the country technically have just two responsibilities. One is to hold the superintendent accountable. You, you, you set up the superintendent's liverables. If they don't do it, you know, you, you, you biannually, you meet with them. You got, you know, numerical, quantitative measures you want to, you put that in there. You put that in there saying, we want this, we want this recruitment, we want this retention, we want this, and you put it in writing. The second thing is budgets. You put money into the budget that says, we want somebody in human resources whose sole job is recruitment and retention of underrepresented groups. My school district, we have someone whose sole role right now is to recruit Latinx male educators because we saw that as a, as a possibility. That's in the budget. And so those things are, are incredibly important to really say, as a school board member, how can I do that? Thirdly, you know, I think we also have to look at there's certain school models, whether it be charter schools or in some places, innovation schools, wherever you are, where you're going to give more autonomy to the school leader to decide how to recruit and retain educators. They can go out and do a little, have a little more leeway, a little more freedom in how they hire teachers. And so we also have to look at some of the bureaucracy that school systems have as it relates to recruit, recruiting and retaining teachers that go to policies that go even sometimes out of the school district to the state. And so looking at ways that how do we give more freedom to the school and more autonomy to the school to make the decisions that they believe are best for their students. That's what's up, bro. All right, so so Reef, we're gonna start with you. Uh, if everybody can name an obstacle that they see uh, in terms of uh, what's preventing black males from coming into teaching, 
Uh, Rifi, start with you. Yeah, I mean, one is just the experiences you have as a student. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're miserable and you're just trying to get out, you know, that's your whole thing is like, you know what, this is the worst part of my day every day for 13 years for 180 plus days a year. You know, it's, it's hard to even fathom or hard to even picture yourself in that type of situation. And so we, we can't talk about recruiting uh, black teachers without thinking about the experiences of black students. Sometimes even when you recruit black teachers, just seeing how, you know, some of these policies that black children are suffering from, it's triggering for yourself as your own. You know, like you re start recalling like, wait a minute, I remember being in that same situation. Right. And so I, I think the experiences plays a, you know, plays a huge role, uh, you know, so I'll pause there. I mean, it's a bunch of reasons, but you know, that's one that really sticks out for me all the time. That's, that's what's up. Dr. Cole. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of folks just don't want to do it. Um, I mean, I think that that's okay. Right. Like, I, I mean, I really want black men to go out and do the type of jobs that they feel like they want to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I like I'm encouraged by somebody like Rich Paul who came up with LeBron James and all the things that he's started out doing around basketball, but is now building schools and is now, you know, has made a lot of black millionaires. Right. So I think that I, I think that this is a great opportunity if folks want to get into the teaching, education and field. Um, and if that's what they want to do, I think that's great. You know what I'm saying? I, but I also am a big proponent of, hey, man, if that ain't what you want to do, don't go do that. Go do, you know, explore different things and figure out what you want to do. Um, but I, but again, if those kids are the problem, they treat those kids the way that they treat them. Just know that as a black educator, you're walking into a place where they gonna probably see you as a problem, too. Um, and I think what Sharif said was really important. Right. Like we got to just have some protections for those folks. What I would like to see is all these brothers that y'all gathering up and that we getting. Like, what, what does that thing look like if you build something outside the system that can still fulfill a lot of those needs and teach our kids and babies what they need? You know what I'm saying? Like, ain't nobody talking about protecting their village no more. Ain't nobody teaching, like, men how to, like, be men and, like, what a protector of, a, of, of their community is and raising up other people. So I personally like to see that again. Like, I keep going back to these community centers because everybody keeps talking about the water is infected and they care about the water and it's been contaminated, but then they scared of the fish. And who's going to treat the fish? And I don't know how well black folks can treat the fish if they if it's one or two black teachers in a system that has been bad for a long time. Um, and again, I support everything that we're doing, but that's just me thinking out loud on that. Yeah. Curtis, jump ahead. I mean, I would say I mentioned earlier, I, I think every man is teaching right now. There's a man teaching his child to do something. Does he call himself a teacher? Probably not. But he has a skill set. And he, he knew there's a step-by-step there's a -step way to teach my child how to tie her shoes, ride a bike, cook a waffle. And the idea that there's teaching going on, how to, how to barber, you know, how to coach basketball, all these things are happening. The question is, is the system ready to embrace brothers and their skills into a traditional system? And so I would say the biggest obstacle is the system being able to adapt and to evolve to embrace the brothers as they are, as they're able to bring what that skill is into a very traditional bureaucratic model. And so, I mean, this, this, we have to talk about, and Chris mentioned this idea of integrating into a burden. We have to talk about the building in, in a little sense or the system itself and saying, is what I'm trying to do, what Sharif is trying to do is in the long, I'm going to look back and say, great effort, passion. I love the energy. You had a strategy, but 
we didn't we we really didn't do a, a good enough job preparing the house in which we were putting them into to embrace them. Because I get back to my experience when I finished college at Moore, I went to South Africa and I moved to a village, a little village, no electricity, running water. But before I got there for six months, they got the village ready to say, Curtis Valentine, this American is coming to your community. And we want it. We want him to stay for two and a half years. And so can we talk about how the two of you are going to coexist? If we're not talking to the schools in which a lot of these students that Sharif is bringing his his his, uh, you know, his pipeline into, or if they're not creating an enabling environment for these young people to come into this space and to be, be authentically them, themselves, then absolutely they're going to be out the door. But it's going to take the community, that school, to adapt as well. If they're going to come and say, we're not going to do anything differently, they can come in, we'll give them a room and a room key, then we'll, we'll, we'll be back here. But it has to be a point where how do we have this conversation? Do you all say, is this someone you need and you value do you, for who they are? Okay, here, here's how we come together to embrace and create a community for the students, obviously, but also for the educators. Because again, if anybody's been a male educator, you know the first thing is, especially, you know, I'm six foot two, 210 pounds. And so it's always like to break up the fights and the bad kid to you, a bad kid, whatever you want to define that is, you know, or there were young men who just come and just stand next to me. And I'd be like, yo, what's up, bro? You good? They were like, I'm good, Mr. Valentine. It's okay. I couldn't figure out what the connection was, but I could tell over time, I found out that young man's story, and it was a number of young men that way, that they just wanted the closeness, just a connection to a brother. And sometimes I had to tell the sisters, he's cool, don't worry about it, he's cool right here. You know, he's looking for something, I'm trying to connect with him because he needed that. And so there's one thing that Cole's mentioned in a previous podcast, you know, I watched a lot of y'all's podcasts to prepare for this tonight because, you know, I don't come here, you know, not prepared. But Cole, you mentioned some of the research that you have done. You said one young person came to you and said, I value educators of color because I felt seen, right? That's important. And I don't know how you measure that, but I know that some people who leave school early or don't, don't meet their goals will say, I didn't feel seen or embraced and so it's sort of like, you know, how do you measure um, a negative? But they're out. And so I think there is something, that value of just being able to see something up close, to smell the cologne, see the edge up, see the shoes and say, okay, I've never been this close to someone without someone wanting from something from me or trying to get with me to get with my moms or trying to connect with me and trying to take advantage of me. I want someone going to give me also authentic experience as well. And there's value with it in that too. That's what's up, Chris. Uh, I don't think we're being honest, y'all. Like, I love all this conversation. Give him the scream. <laughs> I don't think we're being honest, bruh. Like, like, listen, you are doing the Lord's work in trying to get black men to go into schools and teach. And I, I, with every fiber of my Christian being, I believe you are doing the God's, God's work. And I think those who are actually showing up and doing the work uh, are doing God's work. And I think God holds educators in a very special place. And uh, I'll, I'll tell anybody, go read the Bible tonight and find every passage about children and about teaching and instruction and training them up. And you will see that there is a faith duty to do it. But <laughs> that's it, because I'll go meet some Jesus. But Jesus compels me to tell y'all the truth. And the truth of the matter is this. The truth of the matter is uh, the, the, the starting pay to be a teacher is is uh, uh like eighteen dollars an hour? There are warehouses that pay twenty two dollars an hour. 
right? And in those warehouses, you just get to do your damn job and you don't have a whole bunch of whiny people working with you who talk crap in the teacher's lounge, who act like victims and martyrs of every system possible. You don't have, you're not a thirst trap to 80 different parents that you're not trying to be with. You, you're not a thirst trap to, you know, people on staff who you don't want to be with. You're not being criticized for everything you do. You're not being held to high standards that don't match the, the $18 an hour, right? The, the, the standards for outcomes. Um, you're not dealing with other people's children all day long, sneezing and crapping and all kinds of stuff that they got going on and whatnot, you know, like, like, I just want some reality in this conversation because I started out by saying, I think you are trying to do the Lord's work. And, and, and that is true. But if you bring black men into a situation where it would be more profitable for them to take the job somewhere else where they don't have all of the, the aggravating factors of working with, with not a lot of other brothers, not a lot of other men, with a lot of children that need a lot of help being put into situations like you have mentioned on this show where they have a discipline, but now you making them the king of discipline in their school. And that's not what they signed up to do. They're either science or math or something like that. And everybody wants to send them their troubled children. This is a bad commercial that I'm doing right now. I'm doing the the opposite of the commercial that y'all need me to do right now for other brothers to come into the field. But man, what we pay teachers to start teaching, first of all, is criminal. We almost should pay him more in the beginning and pay him less year by year. Pay him like $150,000 for the first five years and then chip some of it off later because that is no bright young black male people in college are already rare enough of a species, but every type of industry is trying to recruit diversity legal, you know, the law, um, engineering, um, science in different places or whatnot. And they're going to scoop off the top, the cream off the top a lot of times with really golden handcuffs, good benefits, uh, not as, you know, work that's rewarding and seen as professional. So anyways, I just felt like I just need to interject a little bit of cold water into the into the the system here. I think we need more black male teachers. I think when a lot of them get there, they're gonna say this job is shit. This this is the the and 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 then they're gonna get their paycheck and they're gonna look at that paycheck, <laughs> bruh. <laughs> All right, cut his I, mic. Cut his mic. <laughs> For more, wait, hold up. For more, for more real talk like that, Bob, make sure you're watching the the unpublished uh, video cast daily at 10 a.m. If you need that energy, um, it might be a I bad take. A, I want to put a disclaimer be. out. I want to put a disclaimer out. Right? I don't know his situation. I don't know what his blood sugar is, but let's blame that <laughs> take on the sugars. <laughs> I mean, you ask any entrepreneur who don't make no money, who goes years and years going in a hole and they don't say, and they say, you know what? I just love to do this. It gives me purpose in life. And I, and, and the connection I give, you can't put a price tag on that. Any male educator, any educator who's listening right now knows when you hit that feeling, when you hit that stride, there's no amount of money can pay that. And the beauty of what I think what Sharif is trying to do is saying that, you know, my district, we you, you're starting at forty five, fifty thousand dollars a year. And some districts, you know, some had you go on certain states, it's lower, but you're, you're factoring cost of living. What Sharif is saying is that money is different when you're dealing with debt versus when you're not dealing with debt. 
if you're African-American, you coming out of school with debt, that 45, that 50 is really more like 35. But if you're saying we're going to help you on the front end with tuition and then we're going to connect you on the back end with other groups for other scholarships and you're coming out, you're single, no kids, 45, and you're working nine months out of the year and you're doing something that, again, makes you come alive. That's a whole other calculation versus I'm doing it because I have nothing else to do and I'd much rather work at Starbucks because it's because it's the same amount of money, which I don't think it is. And it's less stress. That's what anybody there's entrepreneurs who literally go from working in corporate law, working on Wall Street to saying, I'm willing to take less money, have more purpose. And then the idea that there's certain people, I think, in our community, there's a celebration around that. I think what I'm trying to do with Real Men Teaching, other than saying, hey, let's put some respect on this profession, not necessarily through other people, but through ourselves. Let's clap our hands when we say someone wants to be a school teacher. When, when someone comes home for Christmas break and says, dad, I'm changing my major from law to education, let's celebrate that. Let's, when they get in the classroom, when they're posting pictures, let's let, let that be the celebration point. Because when I talk to male educators, and we, we were doing our award ceremony here, we were honoring 200 male educators every year. And we, we went one teacher from every school. We had, a, we had it nominated. And when it would come up, I would get goosebumps because their children would come up and have signs and balloons and daddy, you did it. And it was like, you know what? This is the first time they ever were celebrated. You doing a thankless job of being a school teacher. You never got that. Thank you. Like what Chris Rock said, you had the big piece of chicken. That's all you got was a big piece of chicken. You didn't get that. You didn't get that celebration. And he said, Curtis, I'm going to tell you something, man. I don't do it for the recognition, but it sure feels good to be appreciated. And with the Real Men Teach 100, when you go to Real Men Teach on, on Twitter, Real Men Teach 2 or Official Real Men Teach on Instagram, you will see brothers celebrate and for some for the first time. And they'll say to me, Curtis, bro, I just appreciate that look, man, because in, in this profession, we keep getting bogged down as we're the problem. And even when we do do well, we don't get the celebration. You have to put the same celebration on teaching as you do with lawyers and doctors, because there's just as many in that profession who aren't doing as well as in education. But some reason, in teaching, the onus is always going to be on the few who aren't doing well as opposed to other professions where you know, it just happens. No, no, no. We're going to put teaching on the same pedestal as any profession because we can in our own communities because we control our own narrative. Yeah, That's you know what? I just I, I, I want to go back to this. Just I just want to follow up on this point real quick. Put the celebration on their paycheck, right? Like, we can't keep asking. Um, we, we Like, first of all, you you hit on something in, in what you just said that I think is very important is the number of, of folks coming out with debt, coming out of college with debt. So that already low paycheck that I talked about is even lower when you consider the fact that people have to pay off the debt just to have gone to college or whatnot. So we want our state lawmakers and we want our uh, um, our districts to be thinking more creatively about how we don't make this a profession where you lose money to go in while everybody's celebrating you about how amazing of a, a profession it is and job, right? We need state lawmakers to stop that. Stop that celebratory nonsense that they do. Well, I love teachers. I love teachers. We'll pay them. Pay them. Like, show them you love them. In a capitalist country, the way that you show love, uh, Charles is wearing a shirt that says, my love language is agency. I love that. But in a capitalist country, my love language mm-hmm. is dollars. And and, and, and and your budget is a moral a moral document, right? Your board, but so America's budget for teachers right now is not one that, first of all, it's not moral, but it's not one that shows love. 
right? Uh-huh. Like I, I love teachers that want to be you, you get a mug that says, you know, hug a teacher or some shit like that. I also would like them to eat and be able to uh, uh, get married and have kids and buy a truck and a house and all that type of stuff too. And come on, man. I mean, like, I, just, uh, it, 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 I mean, if we keep it a, a full band, how many of us are active teachers in this group of five? I'm just saying, right? Like, I mean, my thing is, <laughs> I'm just being real, right? Like, right, listen, right. if you want to teach, if you want to teach, if I was a social worker, I loved being a social worker until I didn't, you know what I'm saying? Until it was time for me to move on. I think that you should have the type of supports that Curtis and Sharif are providing. You should definitely check it out. If you don't know what you want to do, you should explore it. But I also think you should explore a bunch of other things because I would I would love to be Rich Paul, right? Like, I, like show me the entrepreneur that's built some stuff, doing what he loves, and is now also educating more kids than most people are because he's doing that off his earnings, off his, like, you know what I mean? And using other people's money to build those type of things. I think as a black, when, if I was a black student, I would have wanted to hear more from the entrepreneurs in my community. I would have wanted to hear more from the, I grew up in shelters. So like, it was never appealing to me to want to be a teacher. I hated that building. I hated those people. I hated how those people treated me. And as somebody who worked in administration, I watched it happen to the adults that tried to come back and teach in their neighborhood. And I'm just saying, like, I'm with you. I, I, I think that like, we need more black teachers. We need more black social workers. We need more black doctors. We need more black men doing a lot of stuff. And they also need protection and they need support and they need to be able to take care of their families because the way that that system is set up now, it only behooves uh, white women that are married to over-earning husbands that, right, and this is the thing that they're allowed to do because they're coming home to a larger salary and they get to combine that. And I think if we don't deal with those economics and I got to deal with the BS on top of it and I got to go with the curriculum that the state has provided that doesn't affirm, that doesn't make my blackness matter and that teaches me crap, and then I'm going to be blamed for it at the end of the day because I'm the black teacher in the school. I think that that's a scary place. That's like me sending you outside to get jumped by a gang by yourself. Mm. Mm. All right. So uh, I'm disavowing from the gang talk. I know nothing <laughs> of that stuff. I know nothing of violence. I see a lot of people whose sugars is acting up tonight. But uh, anyway, we're going to go into our closing thoughts. So uh, for closing thoughts, we'll start with Reef. Reef, close us out, man. With you, you know, first of all, you know, um, thanks again for for having uh Curtis, you know, on to you know talk about his work. You know, I, I think it's really important. I, you know, I, I, you know, there's so many great points were, were brought up today. I, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, what attracted me to teaching was that I was looking for something to uh to use my activism. Like, yeah, there are a whole lot of folks out there. Um, doing all kind of things, interesting all kind of things. And my activism, I was looking for like, where could I use it, um, you know, at what I would believe is the highest level? Where could I be the most effective? I was interested in a whole lot of different things, uh, but teaching appealed to me. Um, mm-hmm. And there are a whole lot of uh, folks out there who are looking for that. You know, I spoke to a brother uh, named Josh this past uh, weekend. You know, this brother graduated from Temple University. He's from a tiny rural town. Like, you know, and as Chris said, like we everywhere, you know, he's like, yeah, my town is, you know, had 11,000 people in it, you know, max. Like, you know, I was like, well, that is a tiny place, you know. So uh, but he he wants to teach. He, he was like, you know what? I, I came into school. I volunteered as a 
when I was a Temple student. And it, and then I saw like, hey, you know what? This is how I want to touch the world. And mm-hmm. so organizations like mine and Curtis is like that. Those are the folks that we're looking for. We're looking to expand it. Yeah. I've met so many young black men who major in psychology and business and communications. And they say, I got that degree because I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just want to make sure that I got a degree. Those are the folks that we're saying like, hey, take a look at this, because at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, black folks aren't often, particularly black men, are not even invited into the profession. So we can say what what they're invited into is to entertain white folks. That's what black men or black boys are are invited to. Come to come and entertain us. Take this ball, take this mic, figure out how to entertain us. And what we're saying is do whatever you want to do. We're going to support you no matter what. Um, but we're also going to introduce this idea of, you know, of teaching uh, and and connecting uh, all these dots together and and making it make it happen. So looking forward to uh, continuing this work with uh, my man CV out, out in these streets here. All right, uh, Stuart and then Cole. Did you call him Cole or did you call me? He said you. He said Stuart. Oh, okay. Well, um, first of all, Curtis, thank you for the work that you're doing. You have been a positive brother for a long time. Like you have brought together history. Um, we've talked about Rosenwald schools. You've been on, you've given your service on a school board. You have started this organization that you are doing now. You haven't just done an organization, but you have brought into it the need to bring money to people to help them be the teacher that you want them to be. So I think you're like just one of the, you're a force to be reckoned with. Like, like you're a one man kind of force in this and seeing Sharif kind of like Sharif knows, like he's got the utmost of my respect. Cause I don't know how to do you all do this, this type of work. Uh, and, and actually like knowing what the odds are, knowing that the numbers are so small, so, so little you're taking on a big job. So when I said it before that, I think this is the Lord's work. I really do believe that. I mean, it's not my work. <laughs> Like, and the Lord is going to call me to do what the Lord is going to call me to do. But I do think it's God's work to be teaching our own young people, right? To be, I just think that we need to build, you used the word earlier, community. We need to build community around these things, fellowship and community around them so that anybody can participate in supporting uh, the, the black teachers. I bring up Rosenwald schools because the entire community had to support those teachers in those schools with their nickels and their dimes and their quarters, putting them together as a community, building the schools with their own hands. And maybe that's the model. We don't just need black male teachers. We need black teachers, period. We need black pedagogy and institutional knowledge. And we need black schools run by black people where they control the contracts so they can decide what they pay people and what type of arrangements they have. And they don't have to be tied up in these archaic um, contracts that have been like dogging districts for years and all of this legacy debt. These are the things that make it impossible to pay teachers what they're worth. Legacy debt, dumb decisions by school boards made for the last 50 years over, um, um, a lack of capital, a lack of creativity, and too few of us running the entire systems. So maybe that's where we need to be uh, uh, be at. Um, but anybody listening to this, be real. $35,000 a year for a starting salary in a job. Um, we need to be talking to our lawmakers a lot more about how that number just doesn't make any sense. Not for a job that's important. Mm-hmm. Cole. Yeah, man. Uh, good show. Thank you all for coming. Uh, my, my respect and hat just goes off to both Curtis and Sharif. And I think that, um, you know, I, I think that 
And I think there are ways to think outside the box in addition to this, right? Like, I think if there's people that's listening and you're calling in education and teaching, because I don't want to be a teacher at all, like ever, right? Like, I think that like helping, but but bringing in to like investor clubs or building other things around them or helping them develop other entrepreneurial things on top of what they're doing in education. I think like if, if what probably would have been appealing is if, if Sharif came to me talking about it when I was younger and was like, and brother, in five years, we're going to teach you how to open up your own school to where you can like learn this stuff and go and, and lead your own thing or whatever, or build this community center that sits next to the school to kind of right those wrongs right after those people like hurt these kids or whatever. Right. Like, um, but I, I think that, um, I think y'all are special people and, and the same way I was a special person to want to be a social worker. That was a very difficult job with a mm-hmm. lot of, anytime your name came up in a paper, it wasn't good as a social worker. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's, that's not a job that, that you, that you want a lot, that you get a lot of recognition for. So, I think if you want to do this, this profession, find out, find these people and find your tribe and your tribe shouldn't just consist of educators. You should get you should have lawyers in that. You should have doctors in that. You should have investment bankers in that uh, so we can like learn how to maximize this opportunity for you. And don't go in a battle alone, man. It's really, really tough, man. And, and I've just seen that kind of happen. But I appreciate you, brothers. And the last thing I would just say is closing this out. I'm so sick of people just talking about. You know, I want to fix this. I want to fix the waters. The waters is contaminated. I want to fix these neighborhoods, but you're scared of the people in them. You know what I'm saying? So if you are somebody coming in to teach, you can't be afraid of the people in that neighborhood and that community that you're supposed to be serving uh, because all you will do is replicate, you know what I'm saying, those things that's happening. And I just see that happen a lot. Um, and again, my apologies. The energy was low, man. It's a lot of death around me. And I know that most of those people that have died I, I know that they wasn't always treated the best in those same systems. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I know that their value wasn't always seen. And the, the, the thing for black kids is not just about these test scores. And I know y'all think that that's what we that we harp on. It's the it's what we know happens when those test scores are so low. Our babies die. They fucking die. You know what I mean? And they can't raise their families or they got to struggle or they got to be paranoid or whatever. You know what I'm saying? They get out that jungle, but they still got to look over their shoulders. So if you're going to be a part of the solution, then really be a part of it. And again, Curtis, Sharif, I appreciate you, brothers. I, I want to make sure I wasn't taken away from that. I think if that's what you want to do, you should do it. All right. So CV and then back to Dr. Cole to plug the, the show. So, uh, CV. No, thank you all, man. This this has been in the making since I saw you all in the hotel in New Orleans about a year or so ago um, and about coming on. Um, respect y'all, value y'all, watch y'all, big fans. Uh, not just the show, but obviously the work y'all are doing in the community. And your final thoughts, man, you all are kind of a commercial for what, what, we're, what we're trying to do. The idea of, you know, trying to pay a teacher more, in some cases, you have to raise some taxes. And some people have to come out of their pocket. And some lawmakers are going to have to cut something somewhere else and put some money somewhere else. And it can't just be teachers out there fighting for these salaries. It has to be, to, to Cole's point, other professions, the teachers, the lawyers, the doctors, um, the bus driver, everybody saying this is something we value, so we're on board with them. For too long, it was, it was a teacher's fight. That's your fight. Y'all deal with it. I'm sending my baby there on Monday regardless. When we talk about real men teach, this is about a, a movement of men, of all men, who are saying, I stand with the profession. I'm a doctor, I stand with the profession. I'm a lawyer, I stand with the profession. I'm in, I'm in technology, I stand with this profession because there was somebody who I grew up with who 
whose shoulders I stand on. Mm-hmm. And so these things matter. And so when you have negative images, and I mean, when you have negative images of black men, it's easier to create policy. It's, it's easier to cut their salary. It's easier to do things that actually matter when people say, well, images, you know, that doesn't matter. But hold on, we can go back to Birth of a Nation. We can go back to all the, we can go back to everything about how they caricatured African-American men until this point where we are brutes and we're insensitive and, and we're all these things that allows you to choke a man on the street and say, well, you know what? He was a black guy. So, you know, those guys are this, this and that. We take all that back. And we push it back saying, this is who we are. And so when you see my Real Men Teach 100, you go to our website, realmentteach.com, Real Men Teach 100, we put the names of the brothers on our, on our, on our, um, on our celebration. We put all your father, a grand, we humanize them. For too long, we've been dehumanized and it allows people to, to carry out policy. And so this is, this is really gets to, I'm, I'm not really all, only trying to make you feel good. I want you to, Chris's point, I do want you to come out your pocket. But in order to do that, you also have to understand who the money is going to. But you also have to value the profession from your own perspective. I wear this hoodie particularly because, you know, there is a war out here. And our best weapon is education. And people like Dwayne Wayne in a different world, the cool professor in the world is the one I emulate as a professor now with the cool backpack and the glasses and the pretty wife. That's the image we have to put out there. That to be a teacher ain't to be a sucker or somebody who's just a teacher because you couldn't do nothing else. There's freedom in that, too, if the school leaders do that and the school board members and the school system and the parents. But that requires a coalition and a community to my man Stewart's point. Real Men Teach Movement is a community. It's a brotherhood. It's our tribe. And I'm glad to be here. And I appreciate you all giving me this platform. Mm. There's a lot to unpack with that final statement, but I'm going to leave it alone because I'm not trying to be messy tonight. Uh, Cole, plug your <laughs> plug your oh, <laughs> I appreciate you, man. Uh, it, it ain't just mine. It's Curtis's, man. Uh, Kurt, Kurt, you know, I, y'all know I do these series, these, these short arc series. We did one with Dr. Fuller, J. Artist Wright. Um, you know, Curtis and I have been working on this for a while. And Curtis is the co-writer of this, man. And we actually got to show love to the person that brought us together a while ago and put us to do this. And that's Mimi Dubs. Um, she's she's ex- helping executive produce this. Uh, I'll let Curtis lead up. But the first episode... We're doing three of these. The first episode is this Friday uh, coming up at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. But Curtis, I'll let you actually talk to it and and, and what brought us together and and what what they're going to get from this uh, three three episode art. Well, I mean, the title's right there, Educated and Dope. I mean, like I said, we take back what it means to be educated and what it means to be dope. The idea that we're going to take it all the way back to the history of education, all the way to the present and, and, and take it to the future. And so you you know you all know if you if you ate black hands um, watcher you know what Charles brings to the table. Those who may not know me, you'll get a better understanding of my experience, my travels, and living um, on on the continent of Africa. My work, my history and education, my work as a policymaker, uh, and my work in this field of education reform. And we're going to have a very candid conversation and unpack a lot of things that I don't think really get unpacked in conversations. Um, we are looking at you know just problems right now, but all these things stem um, from history and from seeds that were planted long before uh, a lot of us even came to the table. And I'll say, if we are just trying to reform the current system without truly looking at its history, understanding how it got here, then I think we'll be, we'll keep having these conversations. Prevention is worth an ounce of cure, you know, um, you know, 
prevention is better than cure. And so we have to look at how this got to this point and we're going to unpack a lot of these things, but also make it, make it plain for people who aren't, you know, sort of, you know, PhD scholars and want to know how can I get involved without getting a PhD first? So you're going to get it from the mouth of my man from Chicago and Oakland. I'm from Jersey and, and Maryland, and you're going to get it just like you're getting it right now, but hopefully you walk away, um, you know, better suited to go out here and, 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 and fight this war. That's what's up. That's what's up. Friday's 3 p.m. Tune in. Yeah. And, and, and right, you know, y'all, you'll get your final thought in, brother. You know, I, yeah, I, you so, know, I don't like when you skip yourself. No, no, all good, all good. So uh, my final thought is that if you are free at 10 a.m. on <laughs> next week, any day, y'all need to go check my man out, especially on a day that he does not have any guests because his sugar is up. His sugar, hey, the sugars is up, and, uh, hey, and he be bringing it home. That's the first thing. The second thing, uh, shout out to shout out to my uh, my wife upstairs, my pretty ass wife upstairs. Uh, uh. Roots of the Soul Roars. Uh, and uh, y'all have a blessed afternoon, uh, rest of y'all night or whatever, right? Afternoon. Like hands with, well, it's, it's afternoon in Hawaii. I'm messing. Uh, <laughs> got you, got you. Sorry, it's yeah. afternoon in the Hennessy bottle. We got, we got right, one. Going, we, got, we got, yeah. Hey, but thank y'all for coming to kick it with us, man. If you liked us, uh, if you like this message that we, we, we sent out today, make sure you love us, send, uh, share it with a message. I didn't say that the whole time. Apologies. But yo, thank y'all for kicking up with us, man. We'll see y'all next week. Peace. Shout out to the purple people eaters. Purple people eat. You have been listening to the Eight Black Hands Podcast with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stuart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8BlackHands1. Thank you for listening.